You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to open that Bible with me to Psalm 34. And uh, while we're doing that, I just want to pray for us uh, as we get started. Dear God, I just... uh, I come before you, dear Lord, even as we're opening your word right now, dear Lord, to Psalm chapter 34. Lord, this morning has just been such a, a hectic morning, dear Lord, a busy morning, God. But Lord, such a good morning, God. The sun came up, dear Lord, and we have breath in our lungs, and we get to come, and we get to hear about how you're a good, good father, God. And I just, Lord, that just blows my mind, God. And I just... uh I pray this morning, Lord, as we're just uh, preparing to dive into this psalm, dear God, I just pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you just come and help me? Would you just give me the words that I need as we're going to talk about your word, dear God? I'm just a man, God. I'm just, Lord, I'm just a a young, foolish, uh, inexperienced, dear dear Lord, just a a man, dear God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just uh, take my weakness and glorify yourself, God. Just Holy Spirit, help me. God, I just pray that you would help me to speak with precision and uh, help me just be patient, Father God, as we work through this text. God, I just, uh, I'm so convicted, dear Lord, as we talk about your goodness, dear God. There's so many people in this room this morning, dear God, who have never even felt how good you are. And God, I just pray, Lord, uh, most importantly, would you just reveal that to them this morning, God? Would you help people who have never experienced your goodness, dear God? What a tragedy that is, dear God. Would you just help people this morning just feel your presence and fall in love with you, God? You're so mighty. You're so good. You're so holy. God, I just pray that your word this morning in all of its power would rework our picture of you. Reshape our hearts. Reshape our minds, Lord. We love you. And Lord, we praise you today and we thank you for your gift, the gift that is your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, guys, so uh, as you've opened up your Bible to Psalm chapter 34, uh, really be glad to be back with you guys uh, preaching. It's been a couple of weeks. We've had a couple of guys uh, from our campus in Statesboro come. We, a couple weeks ago, we had Bo and you got to hear him speak. And uh, he talked about, uh, in this God Honestly series, he talked about what it looks like when you're going through a desert with God. He talked about how we still struggle through that and how we find through that. And then last week, John was here, and I don't really know what he preached about because I was in KK, and it was awesome and great. And I taught the kids about Jesus, and three or four got saved. That was a lie. No kids got saved last week in KK, but it was still fun. And uh, this week, we're going to come to Psalm chapter 34. Now, this week, uh, we're, we're continuing in this God Honestly series. And if you hadn't been here, the uh, principle behind this God Honestly series is we're taking different Psalms of David, and we're looking at David's relationship with God, all right? It's what an authentic, real relationship with God looks like. And here's the thing. David, in this relationship, he didn't just know information about God. He knew God relationally. Like David walked with God. He talked with God. He lived his life with God. He loved God. Like what we're seeing when we look at these Psalms is an intimate love relationship between David and someone he loved and trusted more than anybody else on this earth, God. Like we're seeing David's relationship played out with God, played out before us. And listen, I want you to, as we're talking about what an authentic relationship with God looks like, well, I want you to really stop and question yourself and think about this and ask yourself, do I have this kind of relationship? Because the only kind of relationship worth having is the kind of relationship with God that the Bible talks about, right? Right? So do you have this kind of relationship? I want you to question yourself that. And this morning we're going to come to a a psalm of David, Psalm chapter 34, and we're going to look at how in David's relationship with God, David experienced God's goodness. All right, are you tracking with me with that? In David's relationship with God, he experienced the goodness of God. Like he, he looked to God, and we're talking about, we're seeing this song, Good, Good Father. Like David actually experienced that. 
And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, the goodness of God. How is God good? And so as I was preparing for this, though, I kind of felt convicted because I realized and I was struck by the reality that most of us, including myself, especially myself most of the time, are blinded to the goodness of God in our life. Like, we just have blinders on to it. We have no idea how good God really is to us individually. And the reality is, for most of us, like, the goodness of God is some kind of abstract idea because we've grown up in church here in the South our whole life hearing stuff like God is good all the time. You see what I'm talking about. Like, you knew just automatically God is good all the time, and all the time God is good like we know we know this kind of stuff with our head but like it can my heart's convicted because it's tragic that some of us have never actually experienced this goodness for ourselves. like we know about it we know the fact that God's good but we've never actually had that experience in our heart we've never had this kind of moment where we where we, instead of saying all the time God is good and God is good all the time we've never had a moment where we were just kind of quieted in our soul and all we could say is God you're good God, no matter what else is going on, no matter what my life might be like, God, you're, you're good. We've never had that. And today, I want, you to, I want you to see that. Because what this psalm is, is this psalm is an invitation from David. David is literally writing you a letter, a handwritten invitation, and giving it to you, saying, I want you to experience the goodness of God. Like, as we read this, you're going to be able to tell, like, he's asking you, won't you come experience this? In fact, one line says, taste and see that God is good. It reminded me, uh, when I was a little boy, my, my grandmother was the worst one about this. We ate at her house sometimes, and I, I, was, I was kind of a picky eater, and, like, still am a little bit, but I've, I've grown a lot because primarily my wife says, eat this or don't eat. No, I'm just kidding. She feeds me. But, like, I've grown a lot, but even I wouldn't eat some stuff she cooked, and she'd be like, have you even tasted it? And be like, no, Jesus, I have not tasted it, right? Because she made you feel like you were committing a sin for not eating it. And so, like, but she was such a good cook, and she would kind of get frustrated with me because I wouldn't try it. And she would ask, have you even tasted it? And what, we're, what you're going to see is that this psalm is asking you, taste and see that God is good. Have you even tasted God? Do you want to experience it? I hope my grandma's not here. She here? No? Okay, good. So this is an invitation. The Psalms asking us to taste and see God's good. And so I'm giving you that invitation. David's giving you that invitation. David's giving me that invitation. But even more than that, today, guys, this Psalm is an invitation to see the ultimate reason why we follow God, okay? I want you to try it with me for just a second. This Psalm is an is a invitation for you to see why you should really follow God. Because the real reason we follow God is not because we just want to be good people, Okay? That's not, why, that's not the best reason you should follow God. That might be a reason you should follow God, but it's not the real reason, okay? The real reason we follow God is not because we just don't want to go to hell when we die, right? Like, if you ask anybody in here, you want to go to hell if you die? No, to get saved, everybody's raising their hand, right? That, that's not the real reason why we follow God. What this psalm shows us is that the ultimate reason we follow God is because he is good and he is more worthy and he is more valuable and he is more glorious than anything else this world has to offer. So that's what we're going to see today. And so before we dive into this, this psalm, I really want you to know my outline because I think it will help as we, as we go through. What I want us to do today is I want us to answer three questions about this text, all right? The first one, we're going to walk through this text, and the first question we're going to answer is this. How can we know that God is good? How can I know that God's good? All right, how can we know that God is good? To answer that question, we're going to walk through the psalm and see what David tells us. The second question we're going to answer is going to be a little bit shorter. How can we experience the goodness of God? So how can we take this, this information about God that we have in our head that God is good, and how can we actually experience it, right? And then the third question we're going to answer is this. If I have experienced God's goodness, how should I live? All right, and so this psalm is going to answer all three of those questions for us. So if you're a note taker, type A, that's my outline when we, as we get going right here. I think that helps you. That helps me a lot when I hear that. So that's where we're going. So if you have a Bible, Psalm 34, and we're going to look at... Uh, Verse 1, we're going to read the whole thing, 1 through 22, so let's, go, let's get with it. Psalm 34, verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be, on my, be in my mouth. 
My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the invitation. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. Invitation right there. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So that's the text. And I've told you this text is an invitation to see God's goodness. So the first question we got to read, we got to answer when we're going through this, is the question is, how can I know that God's good? Us in here today, how can we actually read this and know God's good? How can we personally know in the 21st century, this was written like 5,000 years ago, right? How can I know that this is good, that God's good? Not that long ago. That was an overstatement, but it was written a long time ago. How can we know that God's good? Right here, right here, now today. So before I get into this, I got to make one important clarification first. This passage it's, it's a lot of promises that you can experience God's goodness. But the promises of this passage are for believers. So I want you to understand something. As we're going through this, I'm going to be talking about God's promises to people. But if you feel like I've never experienced God that way, I've never known God that way, it's because you're not saved. Because the promises of this passage are for people who have an intimate love relationship with him. So if this sounds strange to you, the question you've got to ask is like, and do I really have a relationship with him? And if you don't, we're going to talk about how we can actually experience this for ourselves outside of uh, and get into that relationship. So this is where it starts. The, and understand this, it's the promises in this passage are for believers, okay? So David lists a number of reasons that we know how we can know God is good. How can we know God's good? The first way we know God is this, good is this. In verses 4 through 7, David says, God is good because he delivers us. Read verses 4 through 7. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. We're talking about a God who hears people and delivers them. The first way we know God's good is because he delivers us out of our fears, our troubles, and our shames. So uh, if you're a Christian this morning, I said this promise is for you. I want you to think back in your life. Remember the times in your life where you've prayed and God heard your prayer and delivered you out of something. It could have been a fear. It could have been a trouble. It could have been a shame. Whatever it is, think back and remember what God's delivered you out of. Because if you are a believer, there's some time in your life when he has. And it might, you might not remember it right offhand, but I promise you, he delivers those who call out to him. You know, as I was reading this, I was thinking about verse 4. It resonated with me something fierce. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The, when I read that, I re, that, that word fear hit me. Like, I don't know how, how a story in your life when God's delivered you of fear, but I just wanted to share this with you because a, a couple weeks ago, God delivered me from uh, the greatest fear like I have ever known in my life, all right? And so I, I'm going to try not to cry through this. Just to let y'all know, I didn't cry before I started hanging out with Jeremy. It's like rubs off, all right? <laughs> So I'm going to try to try to get through this, but so for the past nine months of my life, my greatest fear in this world, and like I, I, it's just in my genes, I worry, I can't help it, I just, you know, I fight it. My greatest fear was that, number one, something was going to happen to Jenna when we gave birth, when she gave birth, I was not involved. 
Uh, number two, that something would happen to Danny when, when she gave birth. And I, I've worried about this for so long. And Psalm 91 really gave me some, some relief from the worry. It says, no plague shall come near your tent. In other words, I'm going to protect you is what God was telling me. But I just worried. I worried. And like I, 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 to be honest, as we uh, went into the delivery room, I made myself sick. I was so scared. Like, I was, like my stomach just hurt for days, right? And so I, 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 was, I was scared to death. And so the delivery goes phenomenal. Like, you just could not ask for a better experience. The nurses were great. The hospital was great. I mean, and, and I don't know if you know a lot about labor, but Jenna progresses quickly. Like, she's there. Like, we're pushing a baby, right? And so everything goes good. And when the baby's born, the umbilical cord's wrapped around her neck. So Danny comes out, and they lay Danny on, uh, they lay Danny on, Jenna's, on Jenna's belly. And she lo- Danny opens her eyes and looks over, and she goes, uh, like, that, like she wanted to start breathing, but she never did. And the doctor looked at me and, you know, didn't really freak out. She said, do you want to cut the cord? I was like, that's your job. I'm paying you to do that. I do not want to cut the cord. So she cut it. By the time I could answer her, she'd already cut the cord and handed the, the, the baby to the nurse. And you could tell that something wasn't right. Like they were genuinely scared. And so I walked over and Danny still didn't breathe. And she just, kept, time kept going. She didn't breathe. It felt like 30 minutes. We're told it was probably two to three, maybe a little over three, but it wasn't much more than that. But for two to three minutes, maybe a little over three minutes, I'm sitting there, and this baby's turning blue, and she's turning more blue, and she's turning more blue. And guys, I'm telling you, I saw a human turn the shade of blue I have never thought was possible, right? Just only in death can somebody be that blue. And in that moment, a couple things just went through my head. Number one, the greatest fear I have ever thought about in my life. It was right before my eyes. I'm staring it down. There's no way to go from it. Just, just fear all over me. God, I'm going to lose my baby. God, I'm going to lose my baby. The second thought was just a trust in God. I just felt God come over me and say, just trust me. And in that moment, all I could say was, God, if you give me this baby for 30 seconds and you take her, i got to trust you, you know? And so in that moment, I just can't, I can't tell you the fear that come over me. And they start, the, doc, the nurses are, you know, everything's fine and everything's fine. One minute, I'm kind of calm. Like it's, She's going to breathe in just a second. Minute two gets here, and like I'm on the board, the, on the border of like psychopath. Like my child's not breathing. Y'all need to get something in here. And the doctor stops stitching. Jenna, you know, and looks back and tells the nurses. She says, "You need to call somebody." And the nurse, uh, the nurse gets on the phone and calls somebody. And whoever she was calling didn't answer. <laughs> like I feel like if you work at a hospital, you should answer the phone. You know what I'm saying? And so she reaches her head out in the, uh, the hall and she yells, I've been yelling for a pedi- calling for a pediatrician for two minutes or something to this effect. And at that point, all I can do is look at Jenna and all we can do is hope. Guys, the pediatrician, and all I'm doing is praying, God, please, God, please deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. At that point, the pediatrician touched the door. She, she was in the next door over. She touched the door and the baby started breathing. It was the most insane thing I can, I've ever experienced in my life. But... As I was reading this, and I'm t- we're talking about God is good because he delivers you from your fear. Guys, I'm telling you, I've seen the worst fear that you could just have in your mind, and God delivers you when you call out to him. I don't know what, you, what, what fear is in your life. It might be fear of not succeeding. It might be fear of not measuring up to somebody else's standards. It might be fear of not pleasing your spouse. It might be fear of not advancing at your job. I don't know what your fear is, but listen, I promise you, you have a God who delivers you from fear. Not only that, God delivers you from trouble. And not not only trouble, he delivers you from your ultimate trouble. As I was reading this, verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Think about this. Not only does God deliver us from our smallest troubles, but God is a God who came and delivered us from our ultimate trouble, which was sin and death and hell. We had some trouble, people. We had sin on our record. We would have never measured up to God's standard. We were in trouble when we were going to stand before him in judgment. God is a God who came down and delivers us even from our worst trouble. He does it through the blood of the cross. And what, as we're reading this, this is, a, this is an invitation for you to put yourself in this guy's shoes. Look at verse 6. It says, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. You want me to tell you why God's good more than anything else? It's because we're all the poor man. Like, we're all that person who can't help themselves. We're all that person who can't stop doing that one sin. We're that person who's scared to death about if they're going to have enough money to pay the mortgage next month. We're all that person who are facing big fears and big troubles and big shame. I don't care if you're the toughest man in here or the weakest woman in here. 
We're all that person who has troubles. We're all the poor man, and God delivers the poor man. God's good because he delivers the poor man. Not only that, the second way we see that God's good, verses 9 and 10, is God is good because he provides for us. Think about this, guys, girls. We serve a God who owns everything. Like, you think you have some assets to your name. Do you have earth? Because God does, right? He owns earth. The cattle on a thousand hill, there he is. The Bible actually says, if I had need for anything, I would not ask you. God, we, God is good because he owns everything, and he doesn't hoard it up for himself. He doesn't say, I want more, more, more. You know what God does with everything he owns? He gives out generously. God is good because he provides for us. Verse 9 and 10 say, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Christian, think back on time in your life. It could have been a spiritual need. It could have been a physical need. I don't know how God provide for you, provided for you. Think back on time in your life where you were in desperate need and God provided. I don't know how he did it. Maybe you couldn't afford to pay the power bill and God provided. Maybe you couldn't afford to go out and maybe you didn't know where your next meal was going to come from and God provided right? That don't resonate with a lot of us. A lot of us think, oh, I've never had to worry about my next meal. Some of us do. Some people do, right? And for those people, you better believe that they know God provides, all right? But think, think about it like this. I want, you to, I want you to remember a time in your life where you have been provided for by God. I, I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this, and there was a time, uh, my freshman year in college, I moved out the summer before my freshman year, and I was like, this is going to be great, independence, you know, and then the power bill came, and then some other bills came, and I was like, independence, this is awesome, all right? And I, I mean, like, there was a couple points I was just broke, all right? I was just broke. And I, there was a day when I had $40, in, on, on me on a Monday to last me to a, uh, a Friday, and I still had to buy gas, and gas in a truck is $40, right? So basically, I was on zero, okay? And I was coming out of Statesboro one day. I worked at a, uh, at a store in Statesboro, and I was coming out of Statesboro, and I saw these people on the side of the road that said, we'll work for gas, all right? And God was like, you need to go give them $4 for gas. I was like, then I'm going to have to take a sign that says, we'll work for gas, right? Like, I'm going to be in trouble, I, I rode down the road, and God was like, you need, to, you need to go give those people the money you have in your pocket. And, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. That was one of the hardest things I ever, I'd ever done. I, I turned around. I went, and I just told them, I was like, listen, I don't know why God wants me to give you this, but here's $40. I hope you get home. I hope you get wherever you're going. And I just left. And at that moment, I was in, I was in trouble, all right? I had a couple of options. You know, call your mom or your dad. Nobody wants to move out and call mom and dad for gas money, all right? So I, I was really, I was really concerned, uh, concerned about it. The next morning, I was reading my Bible, and I can't make this stuff up. $40 fell out. It was in my Bible. Like, I opened it up, and $40 fell out. Shake, yeah, shake your Bibles. Open them up, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying that's going to happen every time, but what I'm telling you is that I've seen there be times before where I didn't know what was going to happen next, right? All right. We, me and Jenna had some, a washing machine and dryer go out at one point, maybe two years ago. We literally didn't know what we were going to do, right? Bills are coming in, student loans, car payments, you know, all these other bills we got to pay. We're going to have to get the old washboard out, all right? The next day, a washer and dryer are given to us. Like, I'm telling you, we serve a God who provides, and he's good for that. And like, listen, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But if you have, all it can lead you to do is praise him for who he is. But one thing I want you to remember is that this is a promise for satisfaction, not necessarily prosperity. All right? So check this out. Just because you follow God does not mean that every time you have a physical need, that physical need's going to be met. I wish it did, but that's not the way it works. This is a promise that if you follow God, this is not a promise that if you follow God, you will have great vacations and nice cars and a big home. That's not what this is saying when it says you'll lack no good thing. This text is telling us, this promise is that when you have God, you will be 100% completely satisfied because when you have God, you have every good thing. 
When you have a relationship with God, you will suffer no lack. I, liked, uh, I read a quote this past week. It says this about these two verses. It says, this is not a naive belief that God's people will prosper, but rather that those who fear God will recognize fundamentally that their relationship with God will satisfy them completely. In other words, this is not a promise that you'll have everything you ever want, but it's a promise that if you have God, you have everything you ever need. God is great because if you have God plus nothing else, you lack no good thing. That's what the scripture says. Those, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. If you have God, you lack no good thing. Listen, I, we, and we live in a world of materialism. Like, and listen, there's nothing wrong with cars and money and vacations. Like, I ain't even saying that I'd be opposed to any of that, Okay. But what I'm saying is that that will not provide you with ultimate satisfaction. It will not do it. Only God can do that. So God is good because he provides for us. Then the third way David tells us that God is good here is because he hears us. He hears us. Read verses 15 and 17 with me. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Next, the psalm tells us that we know God's good because he actually hears our prayers. Understand what this means, believer. He said he hears the prayers of the righteous. Their righteous is a person who has a relationship with God who is pursuing to do good. He, uh, it's a believer. So believer, understand this. The God of the universe the God who created the earth, who spoke the world into being, who said, let there be mountains, and there were mountains, who said, let the water stop here for the ocean, and that's where they stopped. This means that that God pays attention to you. I don't think you really understand that. You, and I, I, tell, I tell you why I don't think you really understand that. It's because when I watch some people worship, this is how some people worship. All right? If you understand that the God who spoke the world into being pays attention to you and hears your prayers, that creates a heart in you of absolute gratitude. Think back, Christian. I, I, I'm asking you to do this a lot. Think back on a time where you prayed a prayer that you didn't know would be answered. You didn't know how God would answer it. You didn't even know if he would answer it. And then you prayed and he answered does that not blow you away that the God who created all things hears you? Think about this. We are so small compared to God, like infinitely small. Like compare yourself to an ant. God's bigger than that. Than God's bigger, that much bigger than you, and even more so bigger. And even in that infinite smallness, God looks and sees us and hears us. I, as I'm thinking about this, I'm reminded about how God's our Father, and uh, I'm talking about my baby a lot. But you're just going to get over it because. She's awesome. All right. I'm a father now. So as I'm thinking about how God's our father and he answers our prayers, I'm thinking about when we brought our, our kid home from the hospital. And the first night we had some help. The second night we had some help. The third night I was just like, I got this. Like I've been a dad for three days. Y'all need to back up, right? <laughs> and really I wanted to test and see whether uh, I could hear the baby cry, right? And so... I wanted to make sure that if she cried in the middle of the night, I could, I could hear and get up. So we put the baby, uh, she's got a little bassinet, you know, that's in the room with us. And the baby, we put her down to sleep. We go to sleep. Next, I wake up at 5 o'clock the next morning like, man, the baby slept great last night. It's awesome. Jenna's like, no, you slept great last night. The baby's up three or four times. Like I didn't even hear her. Like she was beside me, right beside me, like on my side of the bed, never heard her move, never heard her cry. Right? We switched the bassinet to genocide of the bed. All right? But that, that, it blows me away that I don't hear my own child, but God, our Father, hears us every time we cry out. Man, God is good. And I'm telling you this, I want you to taste and see for yourself. That's the invitation. Don't take my word for this. Don't just say, oh, Dallas says God is good because he answers prayer and he delivers us. Don't just say God, don't, Dallas, don't just think Dallas says God is good because he provides for us. And believe me, taste and see, just try it. That's the invitation. God's good. You can experience it. You can have that. And then the last way we know God's good is he is, he's good because he's near. 
Think about verses 18 and 19. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. This is an awesome verse, isn't it? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them all. This, this psalm tells us God is good because every time we have a desperate need, God is with us. Up front here, this verse shows us, though, that following God does not mean we're guaranteed an easy life. In fact, this verse seems to imply the opposite. If you follow God, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So, I mean, it's, it's coming up front here. If you follow God, be ready. You're going to have a rough time. If we sign up to follow God and pursue righteousness, we can rest assured of the fact that we will be persecuted in this world and life will not be easy. Think about it. Jesus calls us, number one, to die to ourselves. So we take ourselves and put off ourselves and say, I'm following God. I'm go- I don't care what the world says, I'm following God. That alone is not easy. That, that would be hard enough. And that's if we didn't live in a broken world. But we live in a broken world. So guess what? People still get cancer. People still lose babies. Children still die. People still go to war. This verse is not promising you an easy life. We are guaranteed a hard life. I don't want to ever stand up here and tell you that once you decide to follow Jesus, life's going to be great. Life's going to be joyful, but it don't, it's not necessarily going to be easy. But this pro- the promise of this verse is, is that no matter what may come, we will have God. To be honest with you guys, I felt God's presence in a lot of places in a lot of ways. I've never felt him beside me like I did when my daughter didn't breathe. There, there's, a, there's a feeling that puts you on your knees when you realize that God just answered a prayer, when his presence has been near, when you've been desperate. I love this quote from Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler is a pastor in, uh, in, Dallas, in Dallas, Texas. He was grow- he's a pastor of a church, and that church was growing by 1,000 members a year, right? And the church was doing, he was doing it the right way. He wasn't just preaching anything and people coming, flocking to it. He was doing it the right way. Like, if anybody deserves to be blessed by God is this man, you would think, right? The guy gets, like, terminal brain cancer. And even if they cure the brain cancer, they pretty much tell him, like, you're never going to teach again, right? Because it's on his frontal lobe. That's where you hold thoughts out, and that's where you think. They're saying, you're not going to be able to preach like you once did. So he has the surgery and goes through it. And while he's going through the treatment, this this is what he says. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that if you follow Jesus, everything goes well for you. It's that no matter what comes, Jesus will be enough for you. That's, that's strong words from a man who's died of brain cancer. He's alive today, still preaching. Christian, think back to the hardest trial you've ever faced in your life. I want you to, I, I'm serious about that. Think to the hardest time you've ever had in your life. I don't know what it may have been. But I guarantee you that in that moment, God was with you the most and you felt his presence the most. You might not have understood it. You might not have liked it. But in that moment, God was with you the most. You know how I know that? Because that's what his word says. That when you are brokenhearted, when you are crushed in spirit, when you are in desperate need, that's when God is near you. See, we don't like suffering. Nobody likes it. I, I'm not asking for, to get cancer. By any, but I don't want cancer. I don't want my child to die. I don't want any of those things. But we all, we hate suffering, right? But what I want you to understand is what this is saying is the afflictions, uh, the afflictions are many, but God is near. That We're like Job. Does anybody remember the story of Job? When we suffer, we can say with Job, I had heard of you by the hearing, but now my eyes see you. In other words, when I suffer, God, you're near me. God, I can see you. God, I know that you're next to me. So listen, this morning, I, I, I'm, like, I'm with Chase. He said it just a few minutes ago. There are some, there's somebody here who's brokenhearted. I have no doubt about it. Your life is just not what you thought it would be. You can't seem to get ahead. There's always something that puts you back down. And maybe, maybe everything's going great for you, but you're never satisfied. You're always wanting something else. You're always needing something else, right? You can never have that spot in your heart be full. You're brokenhearted. God is with you. 
no matter what the situation, no matter how hard it is, no matter how unsatisfied you are, it's in those moments that God is closest. Do you believe that this morning? And maybe you're here this morning like, I'm brokenhearted and God ain't nowhere near me. Maybe you need to take a step toward God. Because he, he's near to the brokenhearted. That's what his word says. Ultimately, this psalm just shows us that, that it's God's good. He's good because he delivers us, he provides, he provides for us, he hears, and he draws near to us. This is why we follow God, church. Listen, I am beyond thankful that God ransomed me for hell, from hell. But I'm going to be honest with you. The punishment of hell has never been enough motivation for me to pursue God all out. It just, it's just not. You can go to hell. Well, that's a long time off. I'm still young, right? The punishment of hell is not enough for me to pursue God. It's not enough motivation. You want to know what motivates me to pursue God? Knowing how good he is and that he loves me and that he wants me and that he died on the cross for me. That's what pushes us to know God. The reason we follow God is because he is good. Ultimately, this psalm is making the point that the best thing this psalm that God can give us is not anything this world has to offer. It's not, pop, it's, not, uh, it's not vacations, it's not cars, it's not homes. The best thing God can give us, what this psalm is teaching us, is God himself. And so that brings me to this question. This is how we can know God is good. If you don't want God from what I just said, if you, if you hear all that and you're like, yeah, I guess. That tells me that you don't know my God. And I pray that he would reveal himself to you today because I can't do it. I just told you all I knew about God. God is absolutely good. So that's the first question. How can we know that God is good? He delivers us. He provides for us. He hears for us. He hears us and uh, and he's near to us. The second question, how can we experience the goodness of God? So the question is this. We all know that with our head. You know how I know y'all know that? Because I said God is good and y'all said all the time. So you know in your head that God's good. How can you take it from your head and put it in your heart? How does it become real? I got bad news before I got good news. The bad news is that the promises of this text are for the righteous person. And not one person in here is righteous. There is not one person here today who's righteous because there is not one person in here, including myself, who has never not sinned. Right? We've all lied. We've all cussed. We've all lusted. We've all told stories. Most of us have stolen. We may have not committed murder, but we've been angry with somebody enough in our head that you thought I could just kill you right now. Right? Nobody in here is righteous. We've all sinned. And so the bad news this morning is we don't deserve these promises. What we deserve is verse 21. Read verse 21. It says, Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous, those who sin, will be condemned. Do you know what we deserve this morning? This morning we deserve God's condemnation, not God's goodness. If we're talking about what we deserve, we talk about that a lot. I just deserve better than that. I just deserve this. What we deserve this morning, people, is God's condemnation. But that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Verse 22 says, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God, even though we deserve condemnation, allows us to experience goodness by one thing, redemption. That word redeem, that's the most beautiful word you've ever heard because it allows you to take and experience the goodness of God. How does, it, how does that happen? So that, that word redeem is pretty cool. I got, I got to look at it this week. It literally means ransom. Now, you know what a ransom is? It's something you pay to get out from under something else. We think of it like a lot of times with kidnapping. If you've been kidnapped, you pay the ransom to get out from under. All right? We've been kidnapped by our wickedness. We've been kidnapped by our sin. We're under the price of that sin. And you know what the price of that sin is? It's, it's death and it's hell. That's what, it's condemnation, all right? We're under that price. But you know what this text is te- teaching us? That God paid the ransom for us to get out from under it. So now, instead of experiencing condemnation, we experience goodness. Guys, that should blow you away. You know what that does to me? It puts me on level 10. Like, I can go from zero to ten pretty quick. That gets me there quicker than anything else. Instead of, instead of condemnation, you deserve good. You get goodness. How does, this, how does this happen? This happens because this is the gospel. Think about it with me. How did God ransom us? 
He pays the price for our wickedness by the blood of the cross. This is cool because a, a, a thousand years before Jesus ever came on the scene, David's writing about the God who's going to ransom him on the cross. Let that absolutely blow your mind. He takes our sin, Jesus does, and gives us his righteousness. And you know what? When we have righteousness, we can experience the goodness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Him who knew no sin, Jesus never sinned, became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us righteousness. So that when we die, we get to experience the goodness of God. What I want you to see this morning is there is only one way you can ever experience the goodness of God. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced any of this, listen, you have never had God answer one of your prayers. You have never prayed to God and Him provided for you. You have never been delivered out of fear. If that's you this morning and you've never experienced those things, there's only one way you can ever experience it, and that's by looking to Christ on the cross crucified. And you know what? I don't care if y'all think I'm crazy and I'm losing my mind a little bit. This is good news because it saves me. I was going to hell and God saved me. You want to know why this is such good news? Because listen, some of y'all are like, y'all yelling at me, y'all yelling at me, just calm down. I'm not going to yell on, all right? It's just such good news. I want you to taste and see that it's good. All right, listen, you want to know how I know that, that God's good through us through Jesus? Listen, on the cross, Jesus delivered us from our sins. Didn't we just talk about deliverance? God delivers us. Jesus delivers us from our sin. On the cross, Jesus provided, didn't we just talk about provision, how God provides for us? Jesus provided the payment that we needed for our sin. Listen, on the cross, God heard our prayers for mercy. On the cross, Jesus drew near to the poor man who couldn't help himself. This is good news. Here's the point. My wife always tells me, when you're preaching, you need to make the point. Let me make the point abundantly clear. Jesus Christ made the way for you to experience God's goodness, but you cannot and will not experience it unless you have genuinely repented of your sins, asked Christ to forgive your sins, and submitted to him as Lord of your life. In other words, you will never experience the goodness of God until you look to that cross and say, God, I need you. And listen, some of you here today, I, like, I want to make this beneficial for believers too, right? You might be here today and you've experienced the goodness of God. You've been saved for 20 years. I want to challenge you today, whether you're a Christian for 50 years or whether you're about to get saved today. If you want to know God more and live for him better and love Jesus more, stop trying to be a good person and look to the cross. Because you want to know what happens? When you look to the cross... It's not about do this, don't do this. It's not about drink this beer, don't drink this beer. It's not about lust after this woman, don't lust after this woman. It's not about anything of do's and don'ts. It's about God, thank you. Whatever you want, that's what I'll do. I want to make the point. We grow into mature Christians, not by trying to be better people, but by experiencing God's love for us through what Jesus has done. The more we love Jesus, the more mature we come as Christians. It's not just about following the rules. And I'm preaching to myself with that. So how do we experience the goodness of God? The cross. We experience it through the cross. All right. Come back down off level 10. Just realize how much I yelled at y'all. I'm sorry for that. Third question. How should we live if we have experienced the goodness of God? So, all right, we know God's good. We know how we can experience it. How can we, how should we live after we have experienced it? So there are two things I think the psalm teaches us from this text, that if you've experienced the goodness of God, you should do these two things. Number one, the first thing you should do if you've experienced the goodness of God is you should praise him. You should praise him. Verses one through three, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What's David doing? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. If you have experienced the goodness of God, the most natural thing for you to do is praise God for his goodness. 
If someone's experienced him, it's natural for him to praise. That's what verses one through three are. He's just praising him for what he's doing. God, thank you for answering my prayers. God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for delivering me. Listen, it should be natural in your life to praise God if you've experienced his goodness. The second thing is this. It should be a, or it, praise him how it should be natural, but it should also be habitual. Look at verse one. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David don't just praise him sometimes. He praises him all the time, right? And this ain't that weird kind of guy who's just, you go up to him like, how you doing, brother? Praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This ain't that kind of weird praise, right? This is God is good to me. This is I have tasted and I have seen the goodness of God. This isn't weird. This is just saying, God, thank you. This is when you go home in the afternoon and you see your wife or you see your husband and you see your family and you look and say, God, you've been good to me. This is when you, go, when you wake up in the morning and you're just like, I got breath again today. God, you've been good to me. This is the kind of praise when you go to work and you look at your coworker and you say, man, God's been good to us to give us this job. This is the kind of praise that is always and often. I got a question for you. Do you praise God? Do you praise God? Do you live a life of praise to God? Because if I'm honest with myself, sometimes it's an afterthought. And as a Christian, that is the biggest failure I could ever have. That it's just an afterthought. God's been too good for that. So first, you should praise Him. The second thing we should do if we've experienced God's goodness is live for others to taste and see that same goodness. Listen, this psalm is an invitation. This, David is saying, I want you to experience what I've experienced. And the truth of the matter is, if you've experienced that, the most natural thing in the world for you to do is say, I want you to taste this. I want you to have, man, have you ever ate at a good restaurant and you're just like, man, y'all got to try this place, right? It's natural. When we've experienced the goodness of God, we want other people to experience it. Listen, the heart of someone who has tasted and seen that God is good, it longs for other people to taste and see that God's good. This week, as I was getting ready for this sermon, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have the best, most spiritual week ever. I struggled in a lot of ways. But as I was thinking about this, my heart just broke because there's so many people who I love, but they just don't get it. They just have never tasted and seen. But you know what? I want them to. Do you want to, for others to taste and see? It's like, taste and see is the heart cry of every Christian. If you're not crying that out, you need to question yourself because you hadn't tasted and seen yourself. And guys, guess what? This is the motivation for faithful witness. This is, what, this is why. This is the ultimate reason why I want to share the gospel. This is the ultimate reason why you'll share the gospel. It's not because you don't want people to go to hell. That's a reason. But the ultimate reason we share the gospel, the only reason that sustains people, the only reason that will keep us inviting people to church week after week, the only reason that will keep us going to our lost friends and family members and saying, come and see, come and see, is that we have tasted and seen the goodness of God. This is the motivation for the Christian life. The motivation for the Christian life is not just keep trying to do harder. The motivation for the Christian life is see God's goodness, how good he's been to you. And then the last thing, I just want you to know that this is my personal motivation this morning. As I've been praying this week, my heart's just been burdened that somebody here today would taste and see the goodness of God. I plead with you, just taste and see. Don't just, don't just leave here, come back next Sunday and say, I'll try harder. Taste and see the goodness of God. So the way we do that here at Connection, the way, the way we ask if anybody is, is, is experiencing the Holy Spirit and wants to be saved, this morning, what we ask to do is if you just raise your hand. And so what I'm asking you this morning, I'm not asking you to join a church this morning, but what I'm asking you is if you have never tasted and seen the goodness of God, but this morning you want to experience that and you realize that you need Jesus to experience that and you want to call on him for salvation. If that's you this morning, will you just slip your hand up and we want to pray with you. If that's you, just, would you just raise your hand and we'll pray with you. It won't be weird, but we just want to celebrate with you that you want a relationship with God. Is that anybody this morning? No? That's fine. That's great. That brings me to the second group of people. Those of us who are saved, if you're saved this morning, I want to invite you to stop looking at your circumstances 
And I wanna invite you to focus on God. I wanna invite you during this next worship song while they sing to look at God's goodness. And I wanna let let that motivate you to repent of your sins. What is it you've been struggling with this week? Look at God's goodness and let that lead you to motivate you to repent. That's what this altar is for. This altar is for people who say, God, you're good and I want to do better. So if that's you this morning, you're saved and you want to experience that goodness, during this worship time, let's just focus on that. And this invitation, this altar will be open for those of you who want to come and pray. Let's pray. God, I'm sorry for my weak words, God. I'm sorry if I've done one thing that's been disobedient to what you wanted me to do, God. I'm, I'm just a man, God. I'm just a, I'm just a boy. But God, I pray that somebody would be saved, God. God, if there's somebody here right now, Lord, that should have raised their hand but didn't, God, Lord, as I stand down here at the front, I pray that they would just come to me. As Jeremy stands at the back, I pray that they would just come to him, God. Whoever it is, Father, Lord, that that, that you're calling, dear Lord, I pray that you would call them to repentance today. Let them see your goodness. Forgive my weak words, dear Lord. I pray that we would see how good you are and live for you. Lord, you are truly a good, good, good father. Thank you. In Christ's name I pray.